Thank you, Kent. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 4 with me. As we continue our, our series on discipleship for our communion devotion this morning, uh, we're essentially going to pick up where we left off last week in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at discipleship is serving together. So begin reading for me in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So we're going to be looking at this somewhat familiar passage of Scripture to many of us, and I'm not going to dive into all of the details of this passage of Scripture. I am going to specifically look at some of the parts of this and portions of this that really help us to look at what does it mean for us to be involved in discipleship. And our first point this morning is the powerful bond of disciples who serve together. I think it's important for us to understand in the world around us, they're, they're doing a lot of studies about what they call shared experience. In fact, there's actually a, a new branch of psychology that, that's looking at specifically this. Because people understand that when we experience life together, good, bad, or otherwise, that our lives can be kind of brought together through these shared experiences. And if this is true for all of humanity, how much more should this be true for those of us who know Christ, who can be brought together by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, and that's what we're going to begin looking at this morning. You see, in Christ, all disciples have a bond that is supernatural. Look at how verse 1 starts. Brothers whom I love, who I long for. He calls them his joy and crown, his beloved. Notice the deep bonds of love and respect that Paul expresses to these dear brothers and sisters in Christ. When we serve side by side with others for the cause of Christ, there are powerful bonds that are formed. Paul is reaching out to a group of people that he loves dearly. These women and the men that he's referring to helped to start this church in Philippi. And Paul loved the Philippian church. And so we see Euodia and Syntyche and Clement and the rest of the leaders there. They've been in the trenches with Paul. Many of them whose names aren't even listed here. They have been able to serve at the start they had been able to serve side by side and see God begin this new church and to see it grow and to see lives changed and to see eternal destinations changed. They served shoulder to shoulder to birth this church. And because of that, they have a very powerful bond together. You see, 
These kinds of bonds cannot be formed casually. There's a big difference in these two next situations. Let's say you're out in a store and you're talking to somebody and you see somebody from church. And they say, oh, who's that? And you go, oh, that's somebody I go to church with. Right? So they're telling them there's some level of bond and connection there. We go to church. But now imagine that same situation and it's somebody that you have a deep bond with. Oh, we go to church together. We served on the Quincy Russia trip 20 years ago. Oh, that's someone from my small group that, that we've been, been studying this book of the Bible for the last two years together. Oh, that's somebody who, is, who has been in my small group ministry and we've been together. Oh, that's somebody that, that we've done these service projects here at the church together. There's a big difference between somebody that's just casually from your church and somebody that you've had a discipleship kind of relationship with. When we share life together with brothers and sisters in Christ, the Holy Spirit brings us together in a unity that nothing else can compare to. It's deeper than our love for certain kinds of music, than our love for our country, than our bond over our favorite sports team. Our bond in Christ should be stronger than any other bond. And it should be strengthened as we serve side by side together for the kingdom of Christ, his great name and fame. And so we need to be understanding that, that these are the kinds of relationships that God wants us to, to facilitate and foster. And if we really care about discipleship, we will be building into those kinds of relationships in our life. We will be bringing people into our lives, and we will be entering into other people's lives in such a way that we are serving together, going deep in the, in the Word together, and creating bonds that this world can't truly understand. But I want us to understand that, that sometimes we think that, well, uh, discipleship can be really complicated. But the reality is, is that in many ways it really is very simple. But what I do want us to understand is that it will be costly. Developing those kinds of relationships is going to cost you. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your comfort. It's going to cost you your convenience and your ease. It's going to cost you your weekends. It's going to cost you late night conversations. It's going to cost you early morning coffee times. It's going to cost you. But you will form bonds that are beyond anything that this world can offer you. If you will build into the lives of others around you and allow them to build into yours. There is something truly amazing and supernatural when we serve together in the bonds of Christ and we grow in those kinds of discipleship relationships. And the joy is so evident in, in what we can see. When we pursue these kinds of relationships in the body of Christ, joy can be our great reward. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, where Paul describes a very similar kind of relationship. And he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Repeatedly, Paul tells us that, that the people in, that whose lives he has impacted and whose lives have impacted him, they are his greatest joy in this world. They are his, their victory and crown. There is nothing in this earth more important than us investing in those kinds of relationships. And the reward is seeing the joy in them and seeing the growth. When we invest in the lives of others for the kingdom of Christ, when we have the joy of seeing people come to know Christ as their Savior. 
And we have the joy of seeing people have victory over sins and addictions in their life. And we have the joy of seeing them grow deeper in their relationship with Christ. And ultimately, we have nothing greater to boast about than that. Paul says in the Thessalonians, you are our, our glory and our joy. It is wonderful to see growth in the lives of people that we love. To see how God uses our obedience in their life to draw them closer to Him. And how He uses their obedience in our life as well. The last couple weeks, we've seen the command to invest in eternal things. As disciples of Christ, we need to be building those kinds of relationships. Because Philippians 4 is essentially telling us this is the fruit of all of that labor in the past. The outcome of that kind of investment in the past is what led them to have this beautiful relationship in the present. This is the fruit of all of those late nights toiling, all of those ministry projects where they were witnessing to others, all of those times where they were meeting in uh, Lydia's home. This is what we see here in Philippians chapter 4. I've mentioned the book Compelling Community several times. And I really encourage you that if you've not read this book, it's, it's something that I think every Christian should read, and I think it would be very beneficial for everyone in our church. We have it in our church library if you would like to borrow a copy of it so that you can read it. In it, the authors state the same concept in a little bit different way. They talk about how there are exceptions to this rule, but as a rule, it says, as a general rule, church activity that builds into relationships will last. Activity that doesn't won't. After all, people are eternal. Everything else will pass away. If you want to make an eternal difference, then what you need to do is, is build into these kinds of relationships in the local body. Because you will be making an eternal difference in someone's life. And, and the things that we aren't doing to build into the lives of others will oftentimes just pass away. And I understand that every person in this room Every person in our church leads a busy life. So we must make choices every day. But look at the fruit of Paul's labors. See the love and the joy that he has for the Philippian church. See how they are his, his crown. They are his reward. Perhaps we should be choosing to invest in those kinds of relationships, these kinds of ministries, more than sports, more than our summer plans, more than our pathway to early retirement, or etc., etc. All the things that we choose to, to bring into our lives are important. But we see here that there is great eternal reward and blessing and great joy in investing in discipleship kind of relationships where we serve together in Christ. And, and when we have these kinds of powerful bonds from serving together, we have the opportunity as well to resolve conflict biblically. You see, in Christ, disagreement does not have to mean disunity. Notice, because of the powerful bonds and the relationships that they have here, notice in verse 3 that Paul says, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest. Paul appeals to the bond that they have from serving in Christ. The foundational relationship that's already there. And he wants them to settle their differences because they know what it means to be bonded together and serving our Savior together. The Philippian church was born and grew in spite of these disagreements among key servants in the church. And Paul wants to see restoration happen 
with these people that he loves so dearly. He wants to see them coming together and serving together again side by side. He wants the unity that can only come from their togetherness for the gospel. But also notice that he doesn't just appeal to the ones who are having a dis disagreement. You see, in Christ, we also have the opportunity and the ability to be a true companion. Look at what it says there in verse 3. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me. He, Paul calls on this person that he calls true companion. That's what is translated in our ESV. Now, the King James Version actually calls this person a yoke servant, as if we are oxen being bound together and pursuing the cause of Christ together. I, I, I like that illustration of, of being yoked together and pulling in the same direction for the cause of the kingdom of Christ. But what, however you translate it, this is obviously a person that Paul has invested in. This is obviously a person that Paul has had an important discipleship relationship with. And it's a person that he trusts to handle this delicate situation for the cause of Christ. And I contend that we need to be those kinds of people who are true companions. But it's also important for us to notice that, that in a true discipleship relationship, oftentimes we think of a discipleship relationship as, as one who is, is as higher as, as teaching the learner. Right? There's a, there's a teacher and there's a learner. But in, but in biblical discipleship relationships with one another in the, in the church, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Notice Paul, who has obviously poured into the life of this true companion, when he has a problem, when there is a difficulty that he knows needs to be handled properly, he has someone in his life that he knows he can turn to to help him handle that situation in Philippi. And that is, that is very, very important. We need to be the kind of men and women that, that others know I can, that I can go to that person and they will handle this biblically. They will help these people who are having conflict. They will come alongside and they will push and point everyone to Christ. Those are the kinds of people we need to be. But we have to build that level of trust by having those kinds of relationships. You see, when the body of Christ is functioning properly, it will be filled with many different discipleship relationships where lives and ministry are intertwined together, when our lives are knit together, and they'll be focused on daily together struggling and walking and serving Christ together. And then we'll know that we have those kinds of people in our life that in our moments of need, we can go to because we can trust them. They've already proven it. So Paul doesn't just lay this out and, and lay out the problem and, and, and lay out their, their past service and the foundation of, of Christ, right? He also gives them some commands for us to live as brothers and sisters in Christ. This isn't an easy situation. While we don't know all of the details of what's going on, it's obviously a very challenging situation. So I don't want to make light of that. And as we've already observed, the, the Philippians and these ladies meant a lot to Paul. And so he wants what's best for them. So he's observed how they can be a great blessing to one another and a great tool for the advancement of Christ. But he knows that sometimes, just like in our lives, their fallen sinful human nature can get in the way. He knows that, that there's this conflict that's going on. And so he is going to challenge them. And he gives them some commands. Because we are commanded to live as brothers and sisters in Christ. Even when we may not feel like it. Even when we may have these side issues that are conflicts in our lives. 
we are commanded to live as brothers and sisters in Christ. So the first command that I want us to look at that he shares with them is that disciples must stand firm and agree in the Lord. Look again at verses 1 and 2 where he first started out. He said, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And he tells them uh, that, that they are the joy and the crown of his life, but that they are commanded to stand firm in the Lord. And, and he entreats them to restore this relationship and come to some kind of agreement. You see, we should be continually reminding that, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ around us that what should our main source of bonding and agreement be? It must be Christ. And if we disagree about lesser things, that is okay sometimes. But our bond and togetherness in Christ is where we stand firm. We must stand firm in the Lord, in the relationship that we have with the truth. Paul doesn't appeal to how much they like one another. He doesn't appeal to their similar backgrounds. He appeals to their relationship in the Lord. But so often, we forget about our relationship with the Lord when we're dealing with conflict for another person. And we have to remind ourselves to continually be going back to that first love in our life and our relationship with Christ. In fact, in Revelation chapter 2, uh, as, as God is talking about the Ephesian church, he has great praise for them, but then he has one thing against them. In Revelation chapter 2, it says this, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. He said, God himself tells the Ephesian church, you've done many great things, but you have fallen away from your first love. You've neglected the things that you were supposed to be doing first and foremost. You have walked away from the foundational truths and principles, and it's causing problems. And I think that that is important for us to see. In, in this relationship that's broken, if they could focus their eyes on Christ instead of the issues that they have, Paul is telling them that, that they can move forward together in unity in the gospel. And I think that's possible for all of us who know Christ. Because the second command is one that we've already alluded to, but disciples must be peacemakers. While we don't even know the identity of the, the true companion, although Newer commentaries are actually beginning to think perhaps that word that's translated as true companion or, or yoke servant really should be translated as a person's name. They were so reliable that they became known as true companion. And so while we don't really know which is correct, this principle is true. We must be peacemakers. We've already noticed that Paul trusts this person. And now he wants them to come alongside these women and bring healing and restoration into a broken relationship. You see, as disciples in Christ, you and I need to take that responsibility very seriously with one another. We need to be able to come alongside and, and be a true companion for those that are hurting and disagreeing. And the way that we do that is by focusing their minds on Christ instead of all of the other stuff in the noise that's going on around them. In Romans 12, 18, which is one of my favorite verses, we're reminded that if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. 
when possible, as long as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Live peaceably with everyone. And that's what Paul is saying here to his true companion. You need to help these ladies, come alongside these ladies and help them to see how they can be at peace with one another by pursuing Christ together. And in this, another command that I, that I want us to understand and to highlight is that disciples must have absolute confidence in the grace of God in any and every situation. I can't imagine what this felt like for Paul to be dealing with this situation from far away, to be dealing with these two ladies that he loves in a church that he loves and wanting there to be unity and, and togetherness there, but instead there's discord. And so what I want us to look at here that reminds us that of our absolute confidence in the grace of God in any and every situation is that verses 4 through 7 look like they're just kind of dropped into the middle of this conflict. But I think it's important for us to see these things. Where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. When, when we who know the grace of God in our own lives. When we who know the mercy of Christ and what forgiveness and victory over sin look like, when we know these things, we must live them out in such a way that it makes it obvious that we are trusting in the grace of God for every moment and every situation. Paul doesn't know the outcome of the task that he's assigned to his companion, but he's already calling for rejoicing. You can rejoice in the Lord always because I know that His grace is going to be sufficient for this. I know that, that when two people love Christ, they can pursue Him together. And, and, and so Paul is, is demonstrating an absolute dependence and belief and trust that God's grace is sufficient to handle even this situation between these two ladies. You see, Paul knows that, that our bond in Christ must be stronger than our petty differences. And when it is, we can rejoice at what God's going to do in a situation rather than living in fear of what is going on. And that's why he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You can have a peace even in the midst of conflict because you know that God will take care of us. And you know, I want us to, to also understand that, that this isn't just something that Paul shares with us. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, we're reminded of what this kind of love looks like. When John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Paul is preaching this to the Philippians, and John is, is saying it. He, he's saying, listen, we need to be characterized by love. Because I know God, and God is love. And so when I know the love of God, that should be evident in my life. And, and so we see that, that when we are exhibiting the characteristics of God and pursuing Christ in our lives, that's what can bring true unity and togetherness, even in the midst of conflict. And that should cause us, as verse 6 says, to not be anxious, but to just go to Him in prayer for everything, knowing knowing fully that he wants to bring unity and togetherness through his spirit. The last command that I want us to highlight is that disciples must dwell on eternal things and put them into practice. 
I think it's really important that, that we see that Paul keeps coming back to this with the Philippians. Look at verse 8, where he says, Finally, brothers, think on all these things that I have commanded you, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Those are the things that we need to dwell on and meditate on. Not the conflict that you may be enduring right now. Not the disagreement that you may be in right now. You need to be thinking about these excellent and praiseworthy things. We are bombarded by garbage around us in our world and in our culture. And we must make a concerted effort to fill our minds with these things that God commands for us. Or we can easily be swept up into conflicts and, and disagreements, just like we see in this passage of Scripture. But then that also means that we need to also surround ourselves with people who are true companions. People who are going to come alongside of us and, and encourage us to walk properly in these things that we're meditating on. We need to surround ourselves with those kinds of people, and we need to be those kinds of people in the lives of others. This means all as well that, that we're going to have to commit to building these kinds of relationships. Because how can we think about these things on our own? That's not how God is, has wired us. But then he also tells them what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. You also need to now practice these things. Just in case the Philippians missed it, one of the many other times that Paul has said it, he reminds them one more time, do the things that you have learned. Do the things that you have heard. Do the things that you have seen myself and other believers doing. We need to put these things into practice. And the God of peace will be with you through all of that. So the last thing I want us to think about together here this morning is what does this mean for us here at First Baptist Church? We're going to go back to our FBC Discipleship in Action plan. Last week we talked about the know and grow portions uh, of the Discipleship Action Plan where we're, we're called to know these certain things and be learning about the truth of God and, and we're supposed to be applying that to our lives and growing in, in those things and there's some great overlap in all of these things. But, but now I want us to see that, that God calls us to serve as well. And, and what we're doing when we're serving is we're putting in place all of the things that we've been learning, all the things that we know are true that we're learning in His Word, and, and we're, we're living them out daily in the lives of one another. And that is what builds the kind of relationships that we saw at the beginning of Philippians chapter 4. And I can tell you countless testimonies from people in our church who have described amazing bonds and love like we see in the Philippian church. Because they've gone through things like missions trips that I mentioned earlier. They, they maybe have bonds with someone who served them greatly when their mother or their father were dying. They went on discipleship trips together. Maybe they meet together for mentoring moms. Maybe they meet together for coffee to talk about theology on, on Saturday mornings and how that applies to our lives. Maybe it's the, the, the late night meetings that, that people call and, and impromptu to times that they have went through difficulty in their life. In fact, I can tell you from a time in my life, when Julie and I were first coming to this church, and let me tell you, I'm terrible. Anybody that knows me well, I'm not the guy that remembers stuff. But I have a distinct memory when Julie and I first came to this church. We had just purchased the, the Sweetles building a little bit before that. And there was a work day. And I can tell you, 
the two men that I worked side by side with, hanging drywall, muddy and taping, and I can't tell you what we talked about, but I can tell you that it had a lasting effect on me. There is something unique and special about serving together side by side. When John Leaf and I, and he talked with me after the, the, the 9.30 service, because I, I mentioned him by name, and he remembers all those same details. And it's just truly amazing to me how God can use those things to knit our hearts and lives together. And so my challenge to, to us is that we need to serve together. We need to come side by side and build those kinds of relationships. A couple years ago, when Pastor, a couple years ago, when Pastor Ron announced that he would be moving on to serve in another church, as I began to pray about this role of discipleship in our congregation, I was challenged by the fact that many of the things that we encourage in our youth ministry, we don't pursue as adults. Memorizing scripture together. Serving on trips. Going uh, on service trips together. Many of these kinds of things we, we don't always do well as adults. And I began to think, why? Why don't we do those things? And the only answer that I can come up with is time. We need to take time to invest in discipleship relationships. Take time to invest in small group ministry. Take time to go on service trips together. Take time to, to get families together around meals and, and talk about the things of the Lord. Take time to serve at the beacon together. Take time to serve in Awana or Sunday school or the church library or children's church or the welcoming usury ministry, coffee ministry, etc., etc., etc. As we begin returning to full capacity ministry, all of our ministries here at First Baptist Church are going to be in need of people to serve. Now, we can try to guilt people into serving, but my heart and my desire is that we would realize that when we serve together side by side for the cause of Christ, we have a bond that is forged together that nothing else in this world can offer. And we have the opportunity to have the kind of joy that we see here as Paul talks about the Philippians. And that kind of bond can become the glue that holds us together through difficult times in the future and that causes us to rejoice right now in the present. Because that's what I believe God wants for us as a church. And he has called us to live that kind of life and ministry together. At this time, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper.